0: I Could Murder a Podcast is proudly part of the ACAST Creator Network. For hundreds of extra minisodes and other content, along with our private Discord server and live Q&As, exclusive merch and much more, consider subscribing to icmap.co.uk.
3: Morning. The following episode
5: contains subject matter and scenes that some viewers may find upsetting, disturbing or unnerving. Please note, viewer discretion is advised at all times.
2: Sit back and enjoy. First of all, I want to thank my three oldest children. i same a helpless couple of what's going on. And then there's a young lad called Daniel Stevenson who tried to get in the the same as myself, and Joe across the road, then the Vought Road brothers. And then, of course, there's the four firemen, the police, the ambulances, doctors, the nurses, literally everybody who tried to help save our children and they couldn't. Through our son, Dwayne, we're going to donate his organs to save another child, which is what we want, because... If you're saving of a child, that makes us happy. It takes a bit of the pain away. And them poor gentlemen from the fire brigade saw what, what we've seen. You know, my heart goes out to them. It's, it's not just sisters, it's them as well. It's everybody. Thank you.
1: Mick Philpott has been given a life sentence and must serve a minimum of 15 years. His wife, Maraid, sentenced to 17 years in prison after killing their six children in a house fire in Derby in 2012. The pair were found guilty of six counts of manslaughter
4: on Tuesday.
5: And welcome to I Could Murder a podcast. We are back again. We are back in the studio. And I'm very excited to introduce my host for today. It's Ben.
3: <laughs> Thank you so much. That's probably the best one yet. Take it. Well, yes, you should. Thank you for introducing me. It's great to be here. It's great to be back. Almost halfway through the series, cases are coming by thick and fast. And it's another very upsetting one this week.
0: It always is. How are you doing, Producer Dan? Yeah, very good. Welcome back, boys.
5: Welcome back. Thank you, And uh, for, the, for, those, for those who are watching us, look at Dan's snazzy hoodie. Mm. Available on the store. New merch, new merch. What are you going to do? What are you going to do if they come for you? Doesn't make any sense, Ben. Super snazzy, though, isn't it? It is a super snazzy shirt. And talking about super snazzy, it's me and Ben, we're not wearing our own merch. Not like Dan.
3: But we're wearing some gully garms. So big shout out to Gully Garms. Yeah, why not enter the codes Kill Ben or Kill Tom for thirty percent off. Load of lovely retro Garms. You got Ben in a little
5: uh, shipwreck.
3: Shipwreck Of Matt. The Great Lakes.
5: And I'm just a bowling champion. Yeah. I think I'm a champion. Tournament. Just as tournament. But it's it's a bit glittery, so I'm going to take it. I'm going to take it as a champion. Yeah. Bronze. Okay. Oh, it's actually, gold glitter, Ben. <laughs> <That>
3: <laughs> actually, your <laughs>
5: collarbone,
0: aren't you? It's
3: actually <laughs> platinum.
0: <laughs> oh my God! It's a champion of champions Jesus. bowling T-shirt. Well, it's
3: great to see you,
0: jumper. Ben, I really like your jumper. I've got my eye on it. Okay. We both thought
5: he was wearing a t-shirt underneath it, but he's not. It's a so, high collar, so, uh, nice. so which so, made made Dan like it less. But we'll see where we get. To. I'll still take it. Still it's also game. the kind of kind of top where you could get stains in it and no
0: one really know.
3: Yeah, which is fine.
5: Oh
0: yeah, now fun. you mention it, it, does look quite stained. This is the first time
3: I'm wearing it, so. <laughs> it's defensive. <laughs> <laughs> no, not defensive. <laughs> <laughs> Fact. But it's yeah, it's got loads of shipwrecks on it. Yeah. Historical events. So you know when it does get to the audience vote. There is a shipwreck that I would like to cover on this channel. So please, Costa Concordia, please vote. I'm sabotaging the polls already. Yeah,
5: we'll keep an eye on that. Yeah, it's funny because I actually really want to do Ted Bundy. So I'm going to be voting for Ted Bundy this series. If you guys are keen for covering it, let's do it. Let's do it. I always want to say Tom Brady when I said Ted Bundy. Like had a killer arm, but different, different context. But yes, Ben, this is a big case indeed. It's one that you've been very fascinated about.
3: For a long time. Since we started the channel, I've wanted to cover it. And mm. um, I'm happy to say we're here today to cover it.
5: Sure thing. and going to fill your boots. Fill your pot. Are oh, you? Yeah.
3: yeah. You're going to fill your pot. I'm going to. So I'm
5: taking the Mick. But um, yeah. go, do you want to introduce oh.
3: today's case? So today we are covering the case of Mick Philpott. Few other referred by's. The Nightmare on Victory Road. The Case of Shameless Mick. The Jeremy Kyle killer. Misleading. It is misleading, isn't it? The father of all lies. And Britain's most hated dad. Mm. What are we going to go for this one? Shameless Mick works. Shameless Mick definitely works. I like The Nightmare on Victory Road. Because it's a bit of a juxtaposition, really, isn't it? Victory, but a Nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, so lots of names. Um, so, yeah, unsure which one we'll, we'll, we'll go by. But what is it about this
5: case, Ben, that's, that's you know, drawn you in?
3: I think it's very easy to look at the man Mick Philpott and go down kind of a, cause he's a, a larger-than-life character in terms of the television appearances that he Mm -hmm. made, the newspaper articles written about him. And you can very easily go down kind of the comedic route about him. Yeah,
5: the the articles pre what happened. Yeah, exactly, exactly. He was was a bit of a figure of fun before this big event.
3: Yes, yes. It's a case that's always fascinated me in terms of there are still conspiracies attached to the motive and the actual initial plan before Mm -hmm. what happened happened. But the more research I've done on this case... The more research I've done on him as an individual, it's just we've, there's no other case quite like it, and it is dark and very, very upsetting. And it's just it's just a really fascinating case. There's a lot of layers to it, a lot of lot of elements at play.
5: Mm. So yes, we're going to go into the childhood of Michael, or commonly known as Mick Philpott. Yeah, it's quite an interesting journey to where he ended up, as, as Ben mentioned. He he's a very colourful character and yeah we're going to see if there was any warning signs which in my opinion there definitely were Mm -hmm. and and perhaps times which he should have been um, prevented from being around the general public I would say but yes we're going to go through his childhood and his early life and see what led him up to this devastating event.
3: Michael Mick Philpott was born in 1956 in Derby, England. The exact date and time is unknown. He was one of eight children born to Peggy and John Philpott. The Philpots were a large family with traditional Roman Catholic views and way of life. They had immigrated from Ireland to Manchester during the 1940s in order to start a new life in England. Peggy had had two other children during a previous marriage before meeting John, but those children were later taken into care due to neglect. Being the fourth of eight children to Peggy and John Philpot, Mick was rarely the centre of his parents' attention, and their time and energy was already spread very thin, both working full-time jobs whilst trying to raise eight children. Mick
5: was said to occasionally try to bully and intimidate his mother and other siblings as he grew older, but this rarely worked as Peggy ruled the house with an iron fist, and his older brothers were always ready to put Mick back in his place. Mick's mother Peggy worked six days a week as a labourer in a factory, a job that she would hold for almost all of her life before retiring. In her 70s. Though she still found time to spend time with her children, she was often straight to bed after making the family dinner once she arrived home from work, which is a polar opposite of Mick, as we'll get get on to. Great
3: work ethic. Mm. Oh, Peggy.
5: Mick's father, John, worked as a tradesman, and his work would take him all over the country. As a result, he would very rarely be in the family home, often leaving the children to look after one another in his absence. And as we mentioned, there was occasional tension between the Philpott boys.
3: Despite not having their parents around for the most part, the Philpott family were well liked in their community and said to have been popular with neighbours and locals. Some of the Philpott children did have issues attending school and were on occasion warned by police for antisocial behaviour. But they very much kept to themselves and stayed out of trouble for the most part. As a youngster, Mick was one of the more quiet and reserved of the Philpot children. And whilst many of his other siblings would play out with friends late into the night after their mother had gone to bed, Mick would regularly stay inside and watch television. It is here that before Mick had hit puberty, he was exposed to sexualized and violent television content. Uh, you're a trash. I remember that, yeah, Channel 4? Probably. I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> Channel 4 at 10 o'clock? <laughs> <laughs> you take it yeah. I think the wrestling was about to come on. You got
5: yourself into a few holes that night. <laughs> I was 11. Were you? That's a long time ago.
3: Mick was introduced to alcohol at the age of 11. Mick, beer. Beer, Mick. And this seemed to shift his behaviours and social standing. His older brothers would introduce him to vodka, wine and cider, which is a, an interesting mix, mm. uh, which he would also end up stealing from local off-licences and petrol stations. Mick would regularly also drink his father's beers with his brothers and friends cheers dad yeah brilliant and it is through his newfound friendship circle that mick would get his first girlfriend claiming and there'll be a lot of claims from from mick in this episode claiming to have lost his virginity at the age of 13 so basically up until this point he'd been very quiet kind of kept himself to himself he tried it on occasion to intimidate his mother and siblings didn't really work as soon as he's introduced to alcohol he's worked out that stealing it and bringing it into a group uh, environment, makes him quite popular.
5: Which we're not saying to do, by the way. No, no, please. Hopefully everyone who's watching this is above above to drink. Alcohol, anyway.
3: Yeah.
5: Yeah, Ben? Though he struggled academically at school, Mick seemed to have a fairly successful social life. He had many friends and many girlfriends that he would regularly get drunk and smoke cigarettes with. And whilst he struggled in the classroom, he made sure that he would have success away from school. He would regularly shoplift alcohol and cigarettes for his friends, with some suggestions that this was, for many, the only reason that people chose to keep him around just keeping around because he's good at thieving was that, there's always a kid at the school who was good at thieving yeah and i remember thinking like one day i was like you he would, he would get a list, a list from people and like what do you want and i was like no, i don't know come back to me but there always was that guy wasn't there thieves
3: thieves oh. <laughs> yeah
0: just thieves
3: um, yeah there were there were people who could get things and
5: mm.
0: make
3: things happen yeah i wasn't one of those kids no. no but i hung out with some did you
0: yeah
5: that's sick
2: thanks man
5: Mick didn't have an exceptional childhood, either positively or negatively. He was a below average student but had a strong circle of friends and family around him and was never bullied or a bully. He did, however, have some issues with alcohol abuse and theft from a young age, as we mentioned.
3: And despite his parents both being out of the family home for extensive periods of time, he had quite a stable home life. And this is something, again, that I found quite interesting, given... What his future home lives will look like the family did not struggle too much financially and there was also no physical or sexual abuse in the philpot household despite claims that mick would later make about his parents the only thing i'd say is obviously with the the mum had two children taken away from neglect
5: beforehand Mm. which you obviously she may have gone on and learnt from that and changed her way but for me that's a slight red flag
3: yeah and then she's obviously gone on to have
5: eight more which roman catholic yeah yeah, but still, it's still obviously a lot of
3: kids, but... The rest of his siblings didn't go down the path that Mick did. mm In his teenage years, Mick would have several short-term girlfriends. It has been claimed that these relationships lasted between a matter of days and a matter of weeks, with all of them ending abruptly due to the girls' realisations that a young Mick was extremely quick to anger, highly controlling, had issues with jealousy, was often physically violent and also became quite possessive. These are traits of Mick's to keep in mind as we progress further into the episode. He may even have refined his skills of manipulation through these various relationships. Throughout the
5: episode, we're going to talk through different accounts from various partners of Mixed Life. Girlfriends, fiancés, wives, and the common trend is that he is described as controlling, violent, manipulative and domineering. Mick left school at the age of 15 and had a series of odd jobs throughout the city of Derby that he struggled to attend. Like many of his relationships to this point, his employment also seemed difficult to retain. He briefly opted to sign up for income support but eventually opted out of this due to having to attend the job centre on a regular basis, which wasn't something he felt comfortable to commit to, which is very, very
3: ironic, isn't
5: it? It is very ironic. Mick was and still is an avid Derby County football fan. As a teenager, he would regularly attend their matches and would occasionally travel up and down the country to watch his team play. He would occasionally get into fights whilst travelling to different parts of the country, and there are many photos of him in Derby County shirts.
3: In 1975, when Mick turned 19, he decided to join the army. Again, he would have issues with attendance and performance. And Mick would also have issues trying to control his temper when confronted by his superior officers. I always got this image of him straight away being told off and not liking, it. Yeah. One, not liking it one single bit. He would often take his anger home with him and take it out on his girlfriends, frequently beating two of his previous partners, one of whom was actually hospitalised. Mick struggled to fit in with the discipline and regiment of the army, and he absolutely despised being given orders as well as the idea of somebody being superior to him, which again is very ironic given what later happens. But Mick was steadfast that he would see it through and try to progress through the ranks with the goal of eventually being superior to others. Which is not so ironic. That makes sense.
5: Though he struggled to fit in with his peers, he would not shy away from any confrontation or bullying with other members of his troop. Mick could very much handle himself and was quite a physically and verbally imposing character. From his football days and time spent fighting in local pubs, Mick had become quite handy when it came to fistfights. Good
3: pun, that, isn't
5: it? Quite handy.
3: Mm -hmm. When it came to fistfights. was quite... I giggled when I typed it.
5: Oh. As well as this, by being deployed to various parts of the country, he was able to meet local women in local bars. And this resulted in him cheating on his partner and getting an underage girl pregnant. He would never go on to meet the baby.
3: In 1978, when Mick was 21, while stationed in the north of England, his then fiance Kim Hall, sent him a letter ending their relationship, claiming that she no longer wanted to be with him and that she had found love with another man. They call it a Dear John letter, don't they? A Dear Johnny. A... a... <laughs> Dear John. That's not an expensive condom, then. Yeah, you're absolutely spot on
5: there. You wouldn't know. Bareback sod. I'll pull out.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Fuck.
3: So as a result of this, Mick immediately went AWOL from the army. He got on the next train back to Derby and arrived at the woman's house armed with a knife. This part is fucking spooky, what happens next. He waited until late at night where Kim's father left the house for work. He then broke into the house and sat silently downstairs for two hours. No, it's absolutely horrendous. At this point as well, he's twenty one. This girl I believe is sixteen and He's essentially waiting for a moment to go and attack this child. He then made his way upstairs to the bedrooms where he began to brutally attack his former partner with a knife, stabbing her 27 times while she laid on her bed. And obviously, as a result, she started to scream. So her mother came into the bedroom trying to intervene. And as a result... Mick ended up stabbing her before fleeing the scene. So just an absolute... Someone try and break up with you. 27, 27 times. 27 times. And the mother got stabbed multiple times as yeah. well. Absolutely horrendous. See,
5: that's part of it when... Because I, I didn't know a great deal about this case. I knew the, the end part of the case, obviously. But again, I remembered Mick being thought of as a bit of a figure of fun in terms of things from previous... Like, before that event. And then you hear that and you're like... like that's the bit I was like, how would yeah. he then be allowed to walk the streets? Like, let alone... Exactly.
3: Because in the talk shows that he'd later make appearances on, he talks about not being able to get employment because he has a criminal record. Mm. And people in the audience are laughing when he says it, but obviously they're probably thinking... It's
5: a criminal record and a a sore hand, wasn't it?
3: Yeah, so so they're probably thinking he's a scrapper. Yeah. Yeah, this, this is something I didn't know about either. Fortunately, both women survived, and Mick was later sentenced to serve seven years for attempted murder and grievous bodily harm with intent. Though he would only go on to serve three years and two months of this sentence before being released for good behaviour in 1981. Fuck good behaviour! I mean, attempted murder, and he just barely. It's served so three calculated
5: years. as well. How he we done it? It's just as you said. It was such a, a creepy
3: thought of him just sitting there, just waiting. So more on this attack. Kim's survival was nothing short of a miracle. She suffered collapsed lungs, a punctured bladder, a punctured kidney, as well as severe wounds to her liver and stomach. This was not the first time that Mick had assaulted Kim. Unfortunately, he had previously smacked her in the face with a pool cue whilst at their local pub in front of all of his friends, and that ended up breaking her nose and chipping two of her teeth.
5: I think that when that happened as well, she then obviously stormed out. But he then grabbed her and made a comeback and watched the rest of the game. And like the friends not stepping in even it's just it's hideous like oh that's kind of how mick is and a pool cube is just
3: a heavy thing the the back end of it
5: when you drop it on the floor it makes Mm. a thud you think that around the face according to mick's lawyer he was carried away by jealousy and out of his depth because he couldn't handle emotional relationships sadly this wasn't to be the first instance of violence against kim from mick he had previously hit her in the knee so hard with a hammer that it cracked her kneecap. And this was due to Kim paying too much attention to a baby that she'd been looking after for a friend. That, if you're looking after a baby, yeah, I mean, it requires attention. Imagine being jealous
3: of a baby. Yeah, but, oh, well, I can imagine Mick being jealous of one. Yeah, but he's. that is insane.
5: And he had previously shot her in the groin with a crossbow for wearing a dress that he deemed to be too
3: short. So basically, the first instance was the pull cue. Second instance was the hammer to the kneecap third instance was shooting with a crossbow and then finally it escalated to stabbing 27 times
5: that is no wonder she just did the letter and didn't say anything to him yeah. in his face but crossbow i mean hammer all, all of this yeah. yeah
3: but all for such insignificant things wearing a dress that he felt was too too short hmm. looking at, giving too much attention to a baby i don't know what the thing about the pool cue exactly no. was but regardless these maybe phil couldn't pot and she laughed that's pretty good. she he, Mick couldn't pop. Yeah. yeah, he thought she was taking the Mick. The attempted murder and subsequent stint in prison set in motion the idea that Mick would never hold another relationship again unless he could fully control the person at all times. Bit of Dharma vibes there. It's not like he's learning, like you think, oh, he's learned his lesson.
5: Yeah. No, I have to be more controlling.
3: This is something that he would go on to do with multiple partners in the most outrageous of ways. This girl has said that she's no longer going to be with him, wants to leave him. He does not handle rejection or mm. people leaving him very well at all. And again, this is a pattern that will continue throughout his life.
5: According to a neighbour, Mick would always have quite a strong reaction if people pushed him or joked to his expense. He never told us that he had tried to kill his ex-partner or that he'd been in prison for it, but it really didn't surprise us. After his first stint in prison, Mick went on to hold a series of short-term and extremely volatile relationships. He would eventually father a staggering 18 children by five different women, and he married for the first time in 1986 at the age of 30 to Pamela Lomax. And an interesting note about Pam, she was Mick's eldest brother's girlfriend, and the pair had visited him multiple times whilst he was in prison for attempted murder. He essentially stole Pam from his brother. The pair would go on to have three children together, two boys and a girl.
3: And that's the thing as well, the 18 children by five different women are the ones that people are aware of is speculated widely mm. he could have dozens upon dozens of, of
5: I'm sure not many people
3: wanted to tell
5: their children that Mick was his <clears throat> their definitely, father definitely
3: Mick did not settle there and speculation is rife with regards to what happened behind closed doors with Pamela and the pair's children but what we do know is that while still married to Pamela Mick went on to have two more children with a teenaged mistress Heather Kehoe who was from Nottingham who was just 14 years old when she fell pregnant from Mick, who was 37 at the time, almost triple her age. Pamela, Mick's first wife, said that Mick was "...overly controlling with me and the kids, even when it came to little tiny things. I regularly prayed that he would move on to someone else, and I thank God that he did."
5: So you, Mick apparently was very eager to target people who had no confidence whatsoever. They're either from a very dysfunctional family where they didn't fit in, they felt very unloved or they had very low on confidence, you know, for feeling like... So any kind of compliment he gave them, like you're beautiful, or he gave any love to them, they really mm-hmm. reciprocated to it. Yeah, he, he targeted vulnerable people. He had a very clear pattern of how he did it. And that's why people fell under the, his spell so quickly. But then it wouldn't take them long to kind of figure out you know, the kind of man he was. But at the same yeah. time, is a lot of them didn't believe they deserved better. So he was very, like...
3: Targeting with who he picked, definitely, yeah. I did have a quick tangent for you. Here we go. <laughs>
0: interesting facts.
3: Hit it. Ben Carter's interesting facts. Interesting facts. Oh, I, don't, I don't know. Interesting facts. So I did think that eighteen was a was a lot, a lot of kids. There's a lot of kids. A lot ben. of kids, isn't it? And I did also then wonder, you know, from that, if there's a lot of Mick Philpott's kids in the world. I did wonder who has fathered the most children in history. of Khan. Yeah you already know that? Yeah. Okay, well, other people might not already know that, so I'll educate them. Okay, because he uh, rapes a lot of people. Yeah. He's a bad guy. So, yeah, warlord and conqueror Genghis Khan seems to top most of the charts on most of the different sources available with a staggering 1,500 to 2,500 children. Another front runner is scientist Berthold Paul Weisner, who basically, via artificial insemination, fathered over 900 children. Ooh. Uh, very interesting uh, Netflix doc about him. Another big one is Moroccan monarch Moulay Ismail Sharif, with a total of over a 1,000. I they Sharif. Sharif. Uh, didn't and, wear a sheaf. And then I thought, okay, well, these are all men that have uh, laid with multiple women. I then thought, all right, what's the most produced by one couple? Because that's
5: interesting, right? That's a horrible copy of that couple of that TV show. Even though I don't think it's the most, but it's in the UK. And it's
3: Wait until you hear this. Wait until you hear this. So the most produced by one couple is from a Russian husband and wife, Valentina and Fyodor Vasiliev, who gave birth to allegedly sixty-nine children, including sixteen sets of twins, okay, seven sets of triplets, and four sets of quadruplets. I mean, that's either a very fertile woman or very potent cum.
5: <laughs> Quick one on Genghis Khan, Ben.
3: Please, yeah, inter- yeah. Tom Norris's
5: interesting facts. Interesting facts, aren't they? I don't know. Interesting facts. facts. How many people do you think he killed, roughly, in his reign?
3: No, far more than he he created. Uh, I, I would say probably a million.
5: Dan, do you know? who really looked. No, I was going
0: to say at least two million. It's Forty million people. Forty. Wow. Forty.
5: Forty. Yeah. He, apparently, it, people say he changed the landscape of. The yeah. world in terms of you know yeah. that many people, the population, Could but be yeah, well. forty million. So that is
3: actually really interesting. <clears throat> annoyingly,
5: Neg- negative difference there with um, Yeah, yeah. His kids. His I mean, he's
3: trying to make numbers back up, but he's not really. Yes, I just drop in the ocean. I, I can't, I can't. So Valentina and Theodore, yeah, a lot of twins, lots of triplets, lots of quadruplets. And amazingly, 67 of the 69 children, for the time as well, which is uh, for the 1700s, 67 of the 69 children survived childbirth. Astonishingly, it doesn't end there for Theodore. Oh. Maybe this answers your question about the potent cum. There wasn't a question about it. Well, I, I, put, <laughs> I saw a question mark there. Astonishingly, Theodore went on to have six sets of twins and two sets of triplets, with a second wife, Jesus. bringing his total to 87 children. And uh, this this line made me laugh. Although these claims about the uh, Vasilievs have been disputed as birth and death records at the time were not very well kept. Mm-hmm. However, he is in the Guinness Book of Records. Well, the, the couple are in the, the Guinness Book of Records. So there you go. A couple of uh, have, have had 67 children giving birth to 69. That's a lot of... Um, yeah. That's a lot of... Uh, Chicken nuggets? Yeah. Christmas must have been. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. Imagine
5: being the 69th kid and getting the hand-me-down clothes. Like, this is just dust. The toy It's just like, what is this even meant to be? <laughs> fucking
3: hell. Brother. you run out of names at that point as well. Yeah, that's you know? true. Yeah. yeah.
5: Bob 3. Like, oh, fucking, come on, can call me Bobby. <laughs> nope. Bob 3. Yeah. Jeez. Uh, yeah, that's true. You'd run out of names quick.
0: So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com
3: slash switch.
4: $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com.
3: Very quick, yeah. Yeah, to be honest, enjoyed those, Ben. Thank you very much, and thanks for the... I mean, that was a very upsetting fact, but I, I didn't know that about Genghis Khan. He's not just a shagger. He's a killer. <laughs>
5: <laughs> they always say that about Genghis Khan. It says it on his gravestone. <laughs> Big shagger, bigger killer.
3: And back to the episode. <laughs> <laughs> in
5: 1991, Nick was given a two-year conditional discharge for assault occasioning actual bodily harm after headbutting the colleague. This is alleged to have been because the colleague referred to Nick as a rotten old pedo. Rotten old pedo. Yeah. Nasty old nuns. You rotten old pedo. Yeah. <laughs> kitty fucker. Sorry. No, for yeah. Uh, headbutting someone for calling you in. Yeah a rotten old pedo a colleague he, as well
3: yeah where is he working he did some occasional sort of cash in hand bits but very rarely stuck around mm. but you don't say that well you do say that to someone like Mick Philpott but not when he's not on a bad day because no. he's going to snap So with Mick Philpot, life in his 30s became very chaotic. He had gotten married and had three children with Pamela Lomax, giving the outward appearance that they were a very happy family. Meanwhile, he has met and groomed a vulnerable 14-year-old Heather Kehoe and gone on to have two more children with her. And there is actually online, I found this really... Eye opening. A flow diagram of Philpot and his various family trees. And I thought it's a bit more like a family forest than um, <laughs> a family tree. That's good. For the uh, for the YouTube watchers, we'll pop an image up for you now. It's really, and there's so many sort of, you know, when you don't have a picture of someone, it's like a gray sort yeah. of template. Yeah, it's when, really. When you
5: said Lomax, I, I thought it was a Cat in the Hat film spin off. But, oh. but it's not. It's actually. Lorax. Game... Lorax? Low yeah, it could be. Yeah, but there's a, there is a PS1 game Okay, called Lomax, which looks. A bit like a moody version of Ray, a Rayman.
3: Um, Loved Rayman.
5: Well, there you go, more like that one.
3: Yeah, but yeah, uh, and and it's Mick and Pam, hmm? Gavin and Stacey isn't it. Mick and Pam, Gav, Gavin's parents. Was that because they had a load of serial killers into? Yeah,
5: they'd but... ship the and they had the Wests.
3: Yeah, that's it. But I don't think this was
5: Mick and Pam. They could Mick Pam Pamla. cracking bollaboms, bombs. Pam. It'd be very. It'd be very niche. Yeah, really
3: niche.
5: Very niche. Mm. We well,
3: never know. So we've obviously mentioned Heather, who was um, obviously 14 when Mick got her pregnant. He actually initially met her when she was 13 years old. He was out fishing at a lake in Rainworth, Nottinghamshire, when Heather was at the same lake with her friends. Again, he was 23 years older than her at this point, as well as being a complete stranger to her. So we've got all these images right now, Mm -hmm. and it's absolutely horrific what goes on to happen. So he goes on to win her over as he initially begins to ply her with cigarettes and alcohol, a seemingly winning formula from. From his past, an oasis. The story of Mick and Heather is a really curious one, albeit extremely dark. Heather recalled, He said he loved me, he plied me with cigarettes and cheap Lambrini. Lambrini for the American people,
5: it's like a shitty cheap wine. We used to drink it when we were young, didn't we, Ben? Like yeah. cherry Lambrini, you get red lips,
0: uh, yes, uh, yeah.
3: During the fireworks
5: night, I remember. Oh, wow, but yes, uh, basically a very, very
3: cheapy wine, popular with teenage females commonly used for people under underage drinking. Yeah, yeah. He plied me with cigarettes and cheap Lambrini, but then had a way of making me feel indebted for it. Oh, it's one of those. Which is horrific, yeah. You okay. can have this, but... No, it's usually have it and then it's afterwards it's like, oh, I gave you that. <laughs> Isn't it? Yeah, it's not very nice. He'd use it to put the pressure on to meet him again and again, and I didn't have enough about me to stand up to it. I was still 14 when we moved to a physical relationship. He was telling me how much he loved me. He would play the Robson and Jerome hit Unchained Melody and tell me that it was our song. He said it was our version of marriage, because I was too young to marry him, but having sex was what was going to make us properly a couple. He took my virginity when I was 14 in a sleeping bag at the side of the lake, after copious amounts of alcohol, and then moaned afterwards about his miserable marriage to Pamela. That is rotten. Yep. Old pedo. Because I was dating a boy of my age, it became mixed challenge, and he bragged to people, I'm popping her cherry before he does. And he did. Sex could be over quickly, which I was always thankful for, but unfortunately, he would sometimes carry on for hours.
5: After a few months, the pair began seeing one another up to four times a week, much to the dismay of Heather's middle-class parents, who even attempted to get the police involved in order to warn Heather of Mick's criminal history. Mick had brainwashed Heather at this point and convinced her that this was all lies. In March of 1996, Pamela found out about Mick's affair with Heather when she literally walked in on the pair in the bed together. Pamela immediately kicked Mick out, with Mick then issuing Heather with a following ultimatum. You've got two choices. You can go home and get put in care, or you can come to Derby with me. It's quite the ultimatum. Care or Derby.
3: A then 16-year-old Heather opted to move to Derby with 39-year-old Mick Philpott, where the pair took up residence at the now infamous council house, 18 Victory Road, Allenton, Derby. This is where the true nightmare began for Heather and the real Mick Philpott reveals himself. And there are a lot more quotes from Heather here. Not long after moving in together, Heather falls pregnant. Even whilst heavily pregnant, Mick behaved horrifically towards Heather, raping her at knife point two months before she gave birth. And shortly after the pair's first son was born, Mick threatened to smother the baby, who was just one week old at the time, briefly holding a pillow over the newborn's face which is just fucking grim on this heather said mick told me that if i ever back chatted him again i could kiss goodbye to my precious baby and when the pair had their second baby another boy mick beat heather so severely that she was required to return to hospital just four days after giving birth all because mick wanted it to be a girl and even that
5: makes me shudder Just because with this character we've described, you you do wonder the sinister undertones as to why he wanted it to be a girl. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely.
3: As well as this, Mick subjected Heather to unimaginable physical and mental cruelty on a daily basis. He forced her to become a five times a day sex slave. She claimed to have been forced to cook and forced to clean and also run errands as well as take on employment as a cleaner at the local East Midlands airport. And this is the weird part. With all of her income generated from that role, going to Mick, whilst he sat at home getting stoned. Yeah,
5: Mick would, um, it wouldn't be uncommon for Mick to even, you know, hold the house keys of, people wouldn't be allowed the house key, he would pick them up and take them to work, so he'd have complete control and know where they are all day, then he'd only have the house key and let them in and out and stuff, he would be so controlling and the money goes to him, in a way as
3: like a cult that we covered before. It reminds me quite a lot of the Colleen Stan case that we covered, in terms of the control, the, yeah, And the just complete way that um, you can manipulate someone into... Belief. Yeah,
5: the, the arrogance of thinking that that they're not going to say anything out and about because you know that they don't, they wouldn't at all go against your word. Yeah, it's it's very disconcerting. It's important to note that whilst all this was going on with Heather, Mick is also still arguing over the visitation and benefits regarding his three children with Pamela. He's been given a restraining order against his ex-fiance, Kim Hall, and her mother, and Mick is now also dating and casually sleeping with many other women in and around the Derby area.
3: The guy is relentless. Because that's that's the thing as well, Pamela kind of, well, although she's very happy to get away from Mick, she's not technically, I mean, she's caught him cheating, so she's ended the relationship, but he's not taking it as as literally as a rejection compared to the Kim Hall one, but he's still trying to be spiteful over the the rights to their children, the visitation Mm. rights, so he hasn't taken that very well.
5: All of the women he is sleeping with are far younger than him, with many of them either having a drug or alcohol addiction, or going through various mental health challenges. He truly is going for those most vulnerable. Criminal psychologist Chris Carter said of Philpot's relationship choices, He went for younger girls, usually girls who were very upset, down and depressed, either because they came out of a bad relationship, or they were mistreated by their parents. Girls that had no self-esteem, he could pick them out of a crowd. They think that they are ugly, they think they are inadequate... All they need is a little bit of love and for somebody to be there. And Philpott knew how to do that. On her new routine, Heather said, I wasn't allowed any sleep because I had to make up for not having been there during the day. I would arrive home at night after a 16-hour shift, and have to cook a meal and do all the housework for him. Rolling his fags became another task of mine. If I forgot to do them the night before, he'd make me get up an hour early to do them. Things got very nasty very quickly. The one time I argued back to him and said no to him, he grabbed a kitchen knife and said to me, Tell me no once more and put the knife to my throat. I did not dare to say no
3: again. Which is just... insane. Another hideous point to mention of the ordeal that Mick put Heather through, we mentioned his attempted murder of his ex-fiancée Kim Hall. Well, Mick actually, it turns out, had a routine of playing Eminem's song, Kim, shortly before any beating of Heather would occur. Heather said, Eminem had a violent song called Kim with a menacing beat and the same name as the ex-girlfriend he nearly killed. It became the soundtrack to his mental abuse, which was even worse than the physical attacks. I often knew hours before I took a beating that I was going to get one, because he started playing that song. There was a look in his eye and a nasty smirk on his face. It's horrible. It's grim, isn't it? There's so much about this case I didn't know, and just... He is one of the worst people I think we've ever covered. Years of this torture went by, and Mick didn't work a day in his life after serving his prison sentence, living off of government allowance from his five children, as well as job seekers allowance and any income earned by Heather, who he viewed as his personal slave. Mick would stay at home watching daytime television and smoking weed all day, whilst everybody else in his family suffered.
5: The final straw for Heather came three years later when, in the year 2000, Philpott encouraged and almost ordered the couple's eldest son to participate in abusing Heather. The boy was nearly three years old at the time. Heather said, Mick backhanded me hard across the face. He was kicking and punching me and had hold of my hair. Then he told my son to tell mummy what a naughty bitch she was. Mick kicked me again and punched me in front of my son. Then my son punched me in the face and tried kicking me in the stomach. I mean, never heard of anything... Getting so it. Uh, so hor-
3: horrific, absolutely horrific. All
5: of this is unimaginable and shows the extent of how Mick not only groomed and manipulated Heather, but had done the same with their child. On this incident, Heather said, something snapped inside me and I thought, I can't do this anymore. I need to get away and get the kids away from that man. And that she did. She left Mick and moved in with her sister, who convinced her to go to the police regarding Mick's behaviours. A subsequent and very bitter nine-month legal battle ensued, with Heather finally winning full custody of her children, with Mick claiming to locals and officials familiar with the case that Heather was some drunken, drugged-up dilly lying through her
3: ass. So he's never wanting his public image to appear wronged or beaten in any way. And yeah, anytime something bad is said about him, he just claims it's lies mm. and tries to swing it whichever way he wants. Obviously, we've used quite a few quotes from Heather here to really paint a picture of what living with Mick Philpott was like. She has done many interviews in recent years regarding her experiences and she states that although she and her sons are survivors of Mick, <coughs> Heather, Mikey and Aiden still face trauma every single day. And there was actually part of the interview where she talks about Aiden being basically ashamed to be Mick's son, claiming that he is worried people will think he's like his father which actually went on to result in the boy not eating for several weeks.
5: I mean, that's quite common, isn't it, with a lot of you know, famous killers' their children afterwards, feeling the guilt and feeling like, have they got any of you know that blood or that tendency within them? And like, yeah, it's it's, un, it's unimaginable. Like, you never think, you never really think about the killer's family. Yeah, you think about the victims' family, uh, of course, but then you and it the does also family of are
3: victims, aren't they? Yeah. So on this Heather said he got into a temper once and threw Mikey into his cot he was just 14 months old luckily he wasn't injured another time when Aidan was just a week old he put a pillow to his face in an attempt to scare me in the year 2000 Mick met a lady by the name of Maraid Duffy Maraid was 24 years Mick's junior he met her in what seems to be his pattern a fairly vulnerable set of circumstances. She had recently given birth to her son, Dwayne, and as a result, the boy's father had left Maraid. The child's father had also regularly physically abused Maraid, and Mick decided it was his chance to take over, and so he moved her in to his Victory Road house. Jade, John, Jack, Jesse and Jaden followed from the pair's new relationship, so they've, they've had they've gone on to have five children together. But meanwhile, he also became involved with mother of one, Lisa Willis, who was a sixteen-year-old orphan and single mother at the time, and almost thirty years younger than Mick. He doesn't stop. Mm. She also joined the couple in the house and went on to have an additional four children with Mick. So this was essentially before Mick was having
5: affairs and cheating on his on his then girlfriends and wives. But this time it was actually an open. Essentially, everyone in the house knew the situation. It was it was what people would call a thruple, But it was quite. An, it was it wasn't a secret between the two women in the house they knew they knew that what the setup of this
3: but it's, it's how word doesn't travel about him so you've got kim you've got pamela you've got heather two girls and one woman who have had terrible experiences with him they've survived him one of them was nearly murdered you'd think that the police would either take that into account with 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 what's been said about him the allegations that have been made but he's also so quickly able to charm other other women and, and enter new relationships Well, like
5: I said, he's picking vulnerable people a lot of these people may be thrown out and haven't got a place to go he's offered them a uh, you know a bed for the night so i mean he's picking these people and he's like you say he he denies everything and people want to believe him because he's being nice to them yeah how could this nice guy yeah with all these kids running about yeah. that
3: seemingly you know
5: so it's yeah very tricky during this time, Mick purchases and parks a caravan in the front garden, adjacent to his Victory Road house, which is now also housing eleven children, a wife, and a mistress. Mick will claim that he used the caravan as a love shack, in which he would alternate between his wife and mistress, but never have reasons with those two at the same time. So he had some rules there. Yeah. Although he would have threesomes with his wife and mistress separately, with his male friend, Paul Mosley, joining him. So he's a character that will come up later on. So, yeah, essentially, what's the old expression, bit? If the caravans are rocking, don't come a knocking.
3: That's absolutely right. I guess it was because there were so many children in the household that he had to have. That mm. Means and it's literally when you see he very proudly showed his caravan off in the Ann Widdecombe show that he was on. We literally just walk in and there's a king size mattress and that's kind of it.
5: And oh yeah, I mean he wasn't. Go- I do think he got any little holidays in there, was he? No, it's just out in the open, and they just yeah, very 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 bizarre. Mick and Moray also had a reputation with the local community for dogging. Ben, do you want to explain to the listeners what dogging is? If they don't know what it is.
3: Not really a dogging expert. Uh, what's the, you flashing lights or? I just had a problem with my car. Okay. Yeah, um, but it's just people having I, sex. See, the thing is, I've heard I've I've heard different kind of definitions of what dogging is. I thought dogging was
5: <laughs> you take two dogs and go for a lovely walk. Yeah,
3: right. Stop like a calf for a slice of cake. <laughs> but actually, I thought it was you go park up somewhere random, somewhere sort of isolated, and. It's a known area where you then you and your partner do some stuff in the car while other people watch. But I also then heard like the proper definition is that it's actually multiple cars go to this location and sort of all get in each other's cars and it all gets a bit sort of uh, muddled.
5: I thought it was yeah, I thought it was the first one.
3: There's two. I mean, there'll be some dogging experts in the comments. Did just,
5: you see that thing on Twitter earlier about the, <laughs> the girl? There's voice notes on on a chat and basically she was saying like this girl was at uni. She went in her room and it stunk and she cleaned it all up and then she was like kept thinking of some of her housemates pulling a prank on her and she kept going in there every like day and it would just reek And then she got really paranoid about her half flatmates and she put some cameras up and homeless people were breaking in <laughs> and having sex on the bed. Oh. And then she got. The, then I was like, "This is bullshit." But then there was like, like a still from it." Was like, it was like, "It's literally from the other guys, isn't it?" The car being stolen and being used. Wow. From. So, <laughs> wow. Just targeting this one girl's room. Let's keep yeah. shagging in there. Bit of a bit of a tangent. I, I
3: thought it was the first one, but I thought it was. What did you think, Dan? Because you probably know more about this than both of us put together.
0: I have heard. No. <laughs> but it's, yeah, more people get involved. But I might be wrong. I don't know.
3: Yeah,
5: I thought it was you do put on a, a show for the people on the outside. That's what I thought yeah. it was, yeah. Mm, maybe
0: I I so I'll do some Googling right do now.
3: <laughs> but Mick and Maraid they were very much doing the version where multiple people get involved. Mm. Um, I mean, they were they could have been doing both versions. Like Destruction Army. Yeah. Be, in a way. Or yeah.
5: bumpers just knocking and.
3: Whoa, wing mirrors.
5: Whoa. Yeah. And pff, the the uh, exhausts. Oh, leaking. Um,
3: yeah, brake fluid. Everywhere.
5: They would regularly park up in the more affluent areas of Derby, where they would have sex in their car in front of strangers and passers-by.
3: Instead of isolated sort of country roads, they went into really, really wealthy Ooh. sort of nice parts of Derby.
2: Yeah.
5: And like are oh, like, look at this. <laughs> Hong Kong. It was later proven that Maraid became pregnant by another man whilst the couple were dogging.
3: You'd assume that he got into the car as well.
5: Yeah, I mean, unless it was a good, good shot. and. <laughs> 100- Moray had immediately had an abortion at Philpot's instruction.
3: They must have done a test. Yeah, how would,
5: because, she, how would she
3: know it's not mixed? Yeah,
0: that's confused me
3: slightly. I'm still thinking about dogging.
0: It looks like it's the uh, the voyeurism rather than the engaging and joining other couples. So my, so, yeah. yeah.
3: So I I had the right idea about dogging. Yeah. Don't clip that. Yeah, <laughs> Yeah. I thought it was just other people. Imagine
5: next week we're in a jumper with dogging sites on it. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe just written and come on, dogging. That'd be nice, wouldn't it?
3: Yeah, yeah.
5: Get the merch up. Despite this horrible, cramped and highly sexualized home environment, all 11 of the children in the house were said to have been impeccably well behaved and all of them appear friendly, polite and loving in various media appearances that would follow. There are lots of videos and photos of Nick and Maraid doting on them.
3: Because that's the thing, you'd expect in an environment like that, being raised in that sort of environment, they'd be little, little rascals and causing trouble and that, but they're... Really polite, really well behaved. It's as if they've been raised...
5: But maybe they are raised in the house of, like, you know, you don't want to get on Mick's wrong side. That's true. But then I remember hearing that he, later on from another interview, that he loved his kids and he
3: was a Mm. good dad. In 2002, Mick marries for a second time, and this time to Maraid. He was 46 and she was 22. To say that the wedding ceremony was unconventional would be an understatement. It goes like that again. To say that the wedding ceremony was unconventional would be an understatement. (laughs) Yeah, just about. 19-year-old Lisa was one of the bridesmaids, and also a live-in mistress of the Philpots at the time. She was also seven months pregnant with mixed child on the day of the marriage to Maraid, with many attendees of the wedding being completely unaware. Over the next several years from 2002 onwards, Mick makes persistent attempts to contact his local council in order for his family of 14 to be moved into a larger council house. Conditions are cramped, with many of the children sharing a bedroom with up to six of their siblings at any given time. One bedroom basically has the appearance of a hostel. Mm. Um, it's got three bunk beds lined up for the Philpot boys. And though some of the benefits are clearly being spent on other luxuries for the Philpots, including a sports car, a 4x4 four four Jeep, a widescreen TV, snooker table on which he regularly had sex with his wife and mistress, video game consoles and a karaoke machine. Is, is, he yeah. loved that karaoke machine. Yeah, Always see him singing in the kitchen. There's an
5: ironic thing later on that happens with a karaoke machine. Oh. In 2005, an anonymous teenager went to Nottinghamshire Police claiming to have been raped by Mick. Though these charges were later dropped, with many believing that Mick physically threatened the girl as well as her family. In 2006, after many years of petitioning his local council for a bigger house with little result, Mick Philpott stuns the country for the first time and unfortunately it would not be the last when he decides to contact the local newspaper journalist in a bid to embarrass the council into giving him a bigger house. This bid backfired massively as, on Mick as tabloids labelled him Shameless Mick and Britain's biggest scrounger in various headlines that follow, the whole country turns on him. So, yeah, the, he went to the local paper, and then that yeah. story kind of got a lot of attention from other papers, and they all kind of labeled him. Yeah. yeah,
3: it's a bold move, isn't it? Um, house progression up the ladder by embarrassment.
5: Yeah, I just if you uh, belittling a bouncer, thinking you're getting quicker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hey, Tiny, you let me in yet? You're not going to get a good reaction, Mick. Yeah, it, it's it's a bad tactic and also I mean yeah. we're about to go on to just the insane amount of money Mick was on
3: well, that's it he's like trying to shine a light on all these really cramped and horrific mm. conditions but watch out for my fucking sports car and that's my carrier it's my go on the karaoke maybe next. use
5: the caravan for you know yeah. another bedroom Yeah, not well for the kids not for yeah. that
3: yeah obviously so as Tom mentioned, the whole country turned on... I mean, they were never really on his side. They didn't know who he no. was. But the, the country are not massive fans of the Philpots. He's acting like he
5: didn't have a fill pot to piss in.
3: Exactly. But- the articles do not read well for Mick, a man who is receiving up to £60,000 a year in benefits between himself, his wife and his young mistress. The articles detail how the only income generated for the family is that generated by his wife and mistress. Mick spends his days at home smoking weed... Going to the local pub to play pool. I mean, he's got one at home. I think said, well, they've been a different game. Very true. Thank you. Breeding his pet dogs to sell their puppies, watching television and singing on his karaoke machine. The many articles published about the Philpots cause a sensation up and down the country, resulting in multiple invites for Mick to appear on UK television shows. You can only imagine his face when they, they start coming through. He would go on to make an appearance on Jeremy Kyle in two thousand and six. For for the overseas listeners, Jeremy Kyle.
5: Jeremy Kyle is basically a UK uh, British talk show where people would come onto the show, like kind of to talk about the family disputes and the things going on, and they try to settle it on TV. There'd be people who maybe were struggling with mental health issues or coming from or people who came from poverty, and the host was just a bit vindictive, and they just very much took advantage of it and basically poke fun and would laugh at them a lot. People in the audience, you could. You could see people just laughing and everyone on there became a figure of fun. I think there was, was people then afterwards would go on to some people went on to commit suicide. Yeah. Luckily it got it got taken off TV because it was such an absolute shit show.
3: Uncomfortable viewing. Yes. Yeah. So he made an appearance on Jeremy Carl in two thousand and six, this morning in two thousand and seven, and he also would feature on the program. Anne Widdicombe versus the Benefit Society in 2007.
5: So Anne Widdicombe was an MP for Derby at the time, so yeah, it made sense her seeing him because he was also from yeah. Derby. And Anne Widdicombe is a very... Uh,
3: you don't want to get on the wrong side. She yeah. says what she thinks, basically. Yeah, yeah. And also he says what she It was explosive. It was, uh, yeah. Very worth a watch if you, if you have the time. Yeah, they they do not match well again philpot's plan with these appearances is to embarrass his local council into giving him a bigger house and there are so so many clips from these different television appearances that we can uh, we can play for you now so we'll try and pick some of the best ones but i mean we could be here for hours that it's unbelievable but yeah there's loads of stuff on youtube if you want to watch him on jeremy kyle this morning or ann widdicombe
2: we all work you don't work. Oh, yes, I do work. Yeah, I know your argument on this. Just give it to us. You say I look after my kids. What's That's wrong right. with a man looking after his kids other than a woman? That's correct. What is wrong with a man looking after his children? I mean, I'm old-fashioned. I believe the man should be at work. But unfortunately, because the media keeps putting a cer- certain story in the paper, I cannot get a job. You personally. can't get a job because of what? Criminal record. It. I said, you, you do, Why mate. I are you so Because when it comes to my kids, I'm very, very I've defensive. just complimented your kids! After I had a go at you. I just said that us was just... Talk to that, pal. Talk to that. You're not worth it. I complimented your kids. I complimented your kids, and I sat and listened to you, and all I was saying
3: was how good they looked. You have jumped out of your box with one hell of a chip on your shoulder.
2: You haven't even had anybody say anything to you so far I don't and you're to. making signs no 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 you've no reason to do that but I'll tell you something when a grown man who purports to be a good father probably he is sits on national television and does that no wonder you can't get a damn job
0: oh there's more much more a souped- up sports car plus an expensive 4x4 a brand new kitchen a widescreen television and stereo equipment for karaoke so Mick, how are you doing it
2: I've got a dog dir breed which brings a lovely
0: income in. I think there's no
2: doubt that he deserved the title of Shameless Mick. He had no scruple at all about living on benefits.
3: Widdicombe found Mick three jobs during the show, one of which was with a barrel-making firm. But he did not turn up for work on the first day, and so the job fell through. Widdicombe said that Philpott did not care about anyone and that he used the word bitch Batch. to... R- <laughs> And that he used the word bitch to refer to both his wife and his mistress. Widdicombe also said that she noticed that none of his children saw affection from him. But also we've heard that he was said to have been a very good dad. So I'm not sure. I'm definitely on Anne's side there. He does not handle himself very well at all in these appearances and seemingly loves the limelight. So it's said that he kind of forgot his his mission to get a bigger house and just Mm. instead was basking in the attention so regardless of how poorly he is coming across to the public phil pot absolutely loved being on tv he almost gets into a physical scuffle with both jeremy kyle and ann widdicombe it's on each a, appearance triple threat match i like to that, i would watch that yeah the backlash that the phil potts isn't backlash a wrestling event it is an event yes yeah, it's, it's a big sort yeah. of pay-per-view i think yeah, per view, yeah yeah The backlash that the Philpots face as a result of these appearances is significant, not just for Mick, but for his family also. His children are bullied relentlessly at school, and his wife and mistress are teased in the streets of Derby. Some of his children become depressed as a result, and again, Mick's paradal pursuits of being moved into a bigger house have failed. Whilst
5: this is happening, Mick's wife and mistress both fall pregnant and eventually give birth to Mick's 17th and 18th
3: child. There's an interview with Mick. I-, I swear it's one of his friends just filming him. It looks like a vlogger type situation. But there's an interview with Mick shortly after the 17th child is born, but just before the 18th was due. And he basically is like, I'm Mick Philpot. I do what I want. You don't like it. You can go fucking sit on that. And, but he's like to the, it's like a promo mm. like a wrestling promo <laughs> and it's I shouldn't laugh but it's quite powerful so we'll play that for you now quite powerful no sorry its it, but it's quite it's just It's cringy it, it, it's, it's very cringy very eye opening it's very cringy I'm just going to stick at that so, powerful not powerful I didn't mean that it's okay. powerful in terms of the word choice
2: at this present moment I am on cloud nine I'm buzzing just had child number 17 I've soon come to child number 18 there's going to be a lot of people out there that's going to say Oh look, the scum, the scrounge, the shameless Mick has done it again, Well, I'll tell you what, fuck all of you, because at the end of the day, my life, my wife's life, Lisa's life, we do what we want, we don't care what you people think, at the end of the day, we're happy, so stump a lot of you.
5: Despite Mick's many efforts in the entire country turning against him, he doesn't receive the housing upgrade that he desires. And in the chilling revelation, he states to a local news crew that he will build an extension on his house into the back garden, regardless of receiving planning permission from the council. He states, one way or the other, I will get what I want, which is quite haunting given what will happen next. And now we're going to move on to the timeline of the nightmare on Victory Road.
3: 11th of February, 2012. After years of abuse, Lisa cannot take the wrath of Mick Philpott any more. She knows that she must leave for her own safety and her children's. Lisa cannot even confide in the woman she has shared her partner and house with for years. She tells Maraid that she is taking her children to the local swimming pool. Her five children pack their swimming costumes and towels and leave carrying only the bags on their backs. Lisa and the children would not return back to 18 Victory Road that evening. Instead, they flee to a women's refuge. When Mick realises that Lisa is not coming back, he becomes engulfed in a fit of rage. As a result, he blames Maraid, telling her that it is her fault and that he must find Lisa. Mick, now aged 56, barrages Lisa with a bunch of calls and texts, pleading for her to come back to his clutches. Of course, Lisa ignores these attempts at communication, thus further frustrating Mick. He begins threatening Lisa and hurling abuse at her, but his attempts fail as Lisa has escaped the fists of Mick Philpot. Lisa filed for full custody of her children immediately. She knew she could not let that man come near her or her children ever again. A custody hearing is set for the 11th of May 2012. So yeah, she
5: did that in the way, obviously, she knew not to say it to Mick's face, obviously knowing how violent he could be and how controlling he was. She did it probably in the best way she possibly could, just, you know, leaving and just making a getaway, essentially. She obviously had had enough at this point and just thought, it's my time to leave. Textbook, isn't it? Textbook. So about a month later on the 10th of March 2012 police are called to Lytton Drive Spondon Derby after there is a confrontation between Mick, Lisa her sister Amanda Cousins and her brother-in-law Ian Cousins Very confusing with the brother and cousin has been the last name there Ben It nearly tripped me up It nearly did Yeah Yeah, but I, I it didn't. On the 17th of April 2012, a court hearing is held over a non-molestation order against Mick. Lisa does not attend the court hearing, although her presence is expected.
3: A non-molestation order is aimed at preventing your partner or ex-partner from using or threatening violence against you or your child, or intimidating, harassing or pestering you in order to ensure the health, safety and well-being of yourself and your children. So it's
5: kind of like a, a what's restraining order. Yeah, that. restraining order, that's the one, yeah. Sort of right, it.
3: man, it's just worded non-molestation, I mm-hmm. thought. You can go near them, but you can't. I didn't think that. No, it, beca-
5: it, becomes, it becomes known that the two had been in contact the day prior to the court hearing. The non-molestation order is revoked.
3: A month later, Mick devises a plan to make sure that Lisa will not win the custody battle. He tells Maraid that he will set the house on fire whilst the children are sleeping in their beds. He will make sure the neighbours are convinced Lisa has done this. There will be a ladder pinned up against a wall in the garden so that when the fire inevitably breaks out, he can smash the window and save the children. Ultimately, he would look like a superhero dad, leaving Lisa without her children. The thing about this is he doesn't even think beyond his arrogance. He doesn't think beyond these facts. Ladder, window, smash, get the kids out. He's not thought about how I'm going to frame Lisa, yeah. apart from his word, that he mm. feels people will believe. Yeah. doesn't even look into what Lisa's doing that night. No. no. So, yeah, very short-sighted from Philpot. Mick reassured Maraid by telling her that the children will be safe. Mick thought that his plan was foolproof. Maraid agrees and, without squabbling, puts her children's safety at risk. Not only will this solve his issue with Lisa, but will also resolve his issues with the council. Without a house to live in, the council would be forced to give him a bigger one. This is so elaborate and putting so many people at risk. Why not just do the old leaky, gassy oven? The old, the old the leaky, house. gassy oven? The um, house goes down. Oh, someone's left the gas on. Why risk the kit? Like, do it when what? they're out. Yeah,
5: yeah, yeah. It's the arrogance. He's like, well, I'll be able to smash a window and save all the kids. Yeah,
3: I'll look great. Yeah. If anything, I'll I will get might and win Lisa back. Um,
5: well, no, because he's, no, he's
3: trying to yeah, frame he her. Before, he might have crossed his mind, though. I don't think he would. I'll frame her and then I'll win her back. Yeah, but like, oh, I
5: did do that and he saved the kids. And now I'm in love with him again. Yeah.
3: Not going to happen like that then. No, but. Implementing his hatred for Lisa, Mick has spent the days beforehand making sure he has given enough evidence so that people will think this is the work of Lisa. He has been writing on Facebook, telling online of his detest for her because she is an awful mother. Pot, kettle, black. Phil Pot, kettle, like black. He tells the public that she has cheated on him, and he even called the police to file a harassment charge to further solidify his plan. He is very much a person who would air Dirty Laundry on Facebook. Oh, yeah. yeah, 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 absolutely. Have you seen what Mick said again <sighs>
5: Take that phone away from him. On the 10th of May, 2012, earlier in the day, Mick purchased canisters of petrol. After making his purchase, he heads home and waits for the events of the evening to unfold. Mick and Maraid invite their companion, Paul Mosley, over. They tell Paul of their plan and Paul agrees to help with the arson attack. The trio then become intoxicated with both drink and drugs and they participate in a threesome on the snooker table until it reaches about 3 a.m. So they're potting all the balls there.
3: The 11th of May 2012. At 3am, they compose themselves and begin to pour the petrol cans all over the floor. They focused on the hallways near the front door in an attempt to make it look as though the petrol was poured through the letterbox, which is just Mm -hmm. very strange. Once all the petrol has seeped into the carpet, Paul leaves, taking the petrol cans with him. He then disposes of the evidence. At 3.30am, 999 receive a distressed call from the Philpots. They tell 999 that a fire has broken out at their household. Conveniently, Mick and Maraid have escaped the fire and are waiting in the front garden. Mick would tell police that he and Maraid were asleep. When the fire broke out, so we'll play a bit of that call for you now.
5: The house is on fire. My kids are in bed. Yes.
2: What address? Eighty-six-zero. Mrs. Philpot. Mrs. Philpot. I hope my kids are in the house, Mrs. Philpot. Where are they? I'm there Any flames there? Oh my God! Please. All right, we've got the fire service coming on the way. I can't <laughs> get them in the kitchen. Let's check the bedroom. Yeah, Charles' house. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but we've got, so we've got the police on the way. Have you any idea what's caused the fire? I've never been like this before. Come got I'm getting There's Smoke everywhere. <laughs> name
5: and one of the things as well when the fire was lit obviously the fumes of the petrol catch a light as well but they had painted, they have done a bit of a cheap job basically on, on the stairway and they'd painted it with yacht paint, which is extremely flammable. Mm. So uh, it was basically designed without, well, I'm sure they didn't know that aspect of it, but that just went up, you know, very, very quickly indeed.
3: Neighbours begin hearing the screams of the fill pots and they rush over to provide help in any way possible. One neighbour named Joe Peel said... I heard his voice, I couldn't hear anything else and I couldn't get in because it was just flames and smoke. A couple of minutes later, the fire brigade came down with the police. Two or three minutes later, you could see the flames going up the stairs through the side of the window of the house. When the fire brigade came, it was billowing smoke going up the road. It was absolutely horrible. And this Joe Peel, as well as another neighbour, are in a lot of the documentaries about this yeah. case, and they are just still to this day so much trauma. Yeah, so visibly moved by. Yeah, they, they heard experience. they heard
5: and so could obviously see what was happening. They ran over to try and help, jumped over the caravan, went to the back of the house. I think one of the boys actually went into the house, but they couldn't they couldn't see past the smoke and could, you know, could hardly breathe, so they had to leave. And yeah, as Ben said, you could see how cut up they were mm. and how you know still.
3: It, affected them today and while they were trying to break into the house and get there they saw marade and mick just kind of like frozen mm. and they assumed it was shock and maybe it partly was because they didn't expect it quite to go to this extent yeah but they weren't doing anything to try and get to those children. but there's also was the ladder leaning against the back of the house wasn't there by this point the whole house has become swallowed by flames Some jump onto the caravan in an attempt to climb through one of the windows on the side of the house and rescue the children. A ladder can be seen placed against one of the walls of the house which led to a smashed window. So This is in the the rear of the property. Mick climbs the ladder and pretends he is making an effort to save his children. Even he is taken aback by the blaze. The smoke is too thick, many hearts break as the neighbours cannot save the six little children sleeping in their beds. Emergency services are quick to attend the situation. Unfortunately, they are not quick enough. As they enter the house, they wrap the children in blankets and carry them carefully to the garden. Here, paramedics attempt to resuscitate the children but five of them are pronounced dead at the scene. A coroner's report finds that they died from smoke inhalation. It is more common to die from smoke inhalation than it is to die from burn injuries. If any comfort can be found in this case, it is the fact that the children most likely would have been unconscious before they drew their last breath, so it is likely that they just went to sleep and never woke up. When emergency services arrived at the scene, firefighters quickly suspect that this has been an arson attack. The devastation caused by the fire was not consistent with a natural fire because the whole lower floor was ablaze. In a natural fire, the flames are carried upwards, not across as seen in this scene. This had now become a murder investigation. Lisa Willis and her brother-in-law are arrested for the arson attack. It looks like Mick Philpot made valiant attempts to save his children as said by Assistant Chief Constable Steve Cotterell.
5: Specially trained dogs came in who were arson dogs who were able to tell what had been, if there's areas which have been used with fuel or whatnot. So they came in, the dogs quickly identified the area where the petrol was poured. So um, yeah, they quickly knew it was an arson attack. And obviously from that you would have thought, oh Mick's got his way here because lisa has been arrested. It's all going to plan. Yeah. On the 12th of May, 2012, all reports of Lisa creating the fire stem from the rumours Mick had been spreading whilst his children were suffocating to death. Lisa's children were taken from her whilst she was under arrest. Lisa has a strong alibi. Police quickly realise this is not their killer when Lisa's story is corroborated by others. Lisa and her brother-in-law, Ian Cousins, are released without any further action taken against them. Lisa's children are given back to her. The deceased children must be identified following standard procedure. Their parents, Mick and Maraid, are also identified their bodies. Maraid is in hysterics. She cannot view the burnt bodies of her dead children. Knowing they cannot face this alone, their neighbour, also named Mick Russell, is asked if he could come along with them for moral support. Being a good friend, Mick Russell agrees. Luckily, Dwayne was found to be breathing once he was carried into the garden away from the smoke. Once his discovery has been made, he is rushed to Birmingham Children's Hospital. Once he arrives here, he is pronounced as being in an unstable condition. So, as you can imagine, with Mick Maraid obviously you, you can imagine if that was, you know, let's say the fire had broken out and Mick had no, nothing to do with it. You've got one surviving child out of the, out of the six in the house. You, you're going to be by the bed. You're going to be worrying. You, you know, you're not going to leave the side. Nothing's going to make you leave leave his side, you would have thought. But this behaviour here yeah. is absolutely baffling. And also, one could view, like you said, there's a lot of different theories about this. Mick wasn't planning to kill his children. No, The devastation of lo- losing his children should very much be prominent here yeah he didn't plan to do it and even you could argue if he did plan to do it he's still losing the children that apparently he loved this bit as i said this bit is just absolutely baffling throughout this time mick and marade are putting on the act of being the concerned parents however when asked if he would like to go with duane to the hospital mick tells the people around him that he better not as he has to be up early in the morning for his court hearing
3: absolutely insane
5: Moreover, Mick has been quick to make accusations. Whilst his children are dying in their beds, Mick makes it known to the people around him that Lisa Willis has caused the house fire. At every available opportunity, he badmouths her. As the people of Derby wake up, the news is spreading of the horrific deaths that have occurred at 18 Victory Road. The community is quick to come together and a GoFundMe is set up in order for people to donate money to pay for the children to have proper funerals.
3: The other thing that's really horrific about this is whilst Mick was at hospital with Dwayne, he was in the corridors flirting with nurses. Apparently, he slapped one nurse on the ass. Yeah,
5: apparently, he even invited one of the police women who were there back to the hotel. So, yeah. Whilst that,
3: your son is on his deathbed. Yeah, yeah.
5: He was making jokes, apparently, when they went to identify the bodies, he was making jokes. And he his friend Mick was the one in tears, and he wasn't. He was comforting Mick, his yeah. friend. And, he, and it's like, yeah, again, like we always say, people deal with grief differently. Mm hmm flirting with nurses slapping a
3: nurse's asses when going through grief it's yeah
5: and not, not, not be, like we said you would be by you'd be by your son's side the whole time mm. and yeah it, 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 could you act more guilty Maraid could not enter in the room which her children lay deceased as a result the two Micks go into the morgue alone it has been reported that upon seeing the children's lifeless bodies the neighbour was more upset than their own father Mick even denied time alone with the children to say goodbye which, Again, admissions yeah. of guilt, you could, you could argue. Once the two Micks have identified the bodies, they meet Mairead and drive to Duane. He's unresponsive, in a coma and placed on a life support machine. Whilst at the hospital, neighbour Mick is shocked to find that he is more upset than Mick and Mairead. In fact, after the couple have disappeared for an extended period of time, neighbour Mick left Duane's bedside to go and find the pair. When he saw Mick, he witnessed him explicitly flirting with the nurses. He even went as far as to pinch one of the nurses' bums, whilst commenting, This is what I like. This would not be the only occasion where the pair acted disgustingly. When the nurses come around with the food for the patients, Mick and Maraid ask if they can have a plate. They are denied as the food is explicitly only for the patients. So even the hospital is asking for a handout, they can't. Mick and Maraid make it actively known that they find this despicable. Maraid even tells a nurse she can have her son's meal as he's not gonna eat it.
3: Fucking hell.
5: Yeah. It's like going to the the blind ward and taking all the pictures down. Kind of. Yes. Despite being reminded that they can purchase food from the hospital's canteen, Mick and Murray decided to order Chinese takeaway to the hospital. The food ended up mostly on the floor as they had a food fight over Dwayne's comatose body. I mean...
3: They just... The fuck? They
5: just... You can't think they could go any further with being...
3: Sink any lower.
5: The hospital staff were then made to clean up the mess. So yeah, even if by this stage the police hadn't suspected them...
3: Everyone that encounters them now...
5: Yeah... A food fight over your comatose son, that only living member of of the, the children that you just killed.
3: May the 13th, a decision is made to turn off Dwayne's life support by the family. It has been reported that Mick and Maraid were by his bedside as he took his last breaths. May the 14th, police make it public knowledge that Dwayne has passed away. The general public is affected majorly by the death of these children. Darby is described as being a tight-knit community and any death would have affected them, but this sent shockwaves across the area. Dwayne was described as gentle and caring by his head teacher, Christopher Reynolds. He also added, the things people remember about him are all nice, positive things. He genuinely was a really nice lad. In the end, the money raised from the GoFundMe would total approximately 15,000 pounds. The intended use of this funding was to pay for the children's funerals. Yet once again, Mick and Maraid have received the cash and it is used in a very different manner. Using the GoFundMe money, Mick and Maraid decide to go on a shopping spree. Although it is true that their house has been destroyed by a fire, the majority of the money is used for their personal expenses rather than paying for the funerals of their children. Which is just yeah. disgusting. This raises anger and suspicions within the community. The police begin to receive tip-offs that the Philpots are acting unusually. We always compare it when people go on a spree after death to the Menendez brothers. but. Um,
5: they also went to a pub and they did karaoke this is what I'm saying about the karaoke thing and they sang Suspicious Minds which is very ironic we're going to go into this this is where the police are obviously starting to think something has gone and awry at, here
3: at no point and we'll probably talk about this more when he when he goes into his press conference but at no point are they saying you need to find who did this you need to find who mm. killed my babies it's not mentioned once
5: yeah he doesn't seem too heartbroken at least being in and out you know what I mean it's in like out. She went in because he well, obviously was spreading the word and then she's been proven innocent. And it's like, yeah, he's just like, oh, okay.
3: But you'd even think, even if this wasn't his plan, but the children were still killed by this fire, he would have a natural mm. sentiment or yeah. some empathy, but he's not. So that you'd, you'd think this may help him even cover it up further if there was some kind of natural yeah. emotion from it, but there's nothing.
5: So the 15th of May, 2012. Since the fire, Mick and Maraid had been moved into the Premier Inn. Police tapped their hotel room in the hopes they would find concrete evidence from their new suspects. Exactly that happened, but only after a while. Police began to grow suspicious of the fact that the house fire was rarely even brought up by the pair. They were not expressing grief for their children or even mentioning them. Moreover, when Marae tried to talk to her husband about the situation, she was silenced. Four days after the hotel room was tapped, police hear Mick tell his wife that she must stick to her story.
3: So during the, this week or so that they had bugged the Premier Inn room that they were staying in, Paul Mosley visits them. Yeah, and- So he was the guy with the, who uh, he was in, in on the... Uh, the fire with them yeah he he incriminates himself quite heavily when he arrives there but then also philpot orders marae to give paul a blowjob and show him a good time which she then does and mick philpot can be heard in the background saying you know he deserves this he you know show him a good time and it's just yeah yeah i
5: think he he came over because he was he was worrying that they're going to be found out Mosley and everything Mick was paranoid about Mosley saying something Absolutely. so he used use Merades in order to give him a sexual favour in order to keep him quiet and then afterwards you can hear Mick saying thanks for doing that I know you didn't want to do it
3: which Again, just shows the manipulation there um, that he's using on on his wife. 16th of May, 2012, the next day police receive a request from Mick Philpott. Mick tells the police that he would like to do a press conference to appeal to the public in the hopes that someone will be able to shed a light on the creation of the fire. Although they are suspects, the police allow the press conference to go ahead. This is in the hopes that one of the two will say something damning and confirm their suspicions. This press conference would go on to be very very infamous when it comes to the Philpott case. Throughout the interview very few tears are shed and and in fact no tears are shed from from Mick at all. Furthermore Mick barely acknowledges the children he has just lost. He thanks the emergency services and neighbours before the names of his children are even uttered. He tried to put on a persona of a grieving parent but in actuality the only thing wiped from his face is a smirk in which he tries to conceal. They also kind of regularly look at each other whilst mm. also pre- pretending to cry, as if they're looking at each other to encourage each other to stay in the role. I watched that
5: program, Faking It, oh, about okay. this case, yeah. which you know, is it's good. It's a good show to watch where they, uh, they have a lot of people experts about body language and whatnot. And there's a bit where Mick walks into the press conference with his back first, which is in the sense of you know it's kind of doesn't face strange, up. Yeah, but it's a strange thing to do. And then the fact they keep saying about yeah, his, he's stabbing his eyes with it uh, with a tissue the tissue there but it? then it is he could obviously see he's not crying yep. and his face they said moraine actually shows with, with the crinkles in her forehead that she actually is upset and she's, she's grieving yeah. but he's not at all and he's he, it's actually pushing the tissue into his eye trying to create tears it seems yeah
3: make his eyes red
5: yeah and it's it's very bizarre and the, the language he used yeah he thanks surviving children who um who have helped him and the, the fire services but he never once says, Find who did this. Find who did this. And which the whole point of him doing it, the public appeal. Yeah. You would have thought, well, that's exactly why he's doing it.
3: So, yeah, people have likened it to that of a toddler trying to sort mm. of fake a tantrum or fake cry. He literally just keeps holding a, a tissue up to his face. But there are, yeah, lots of very famous moments from this press conference. We'll, we'll play some, some parts of that for you now.
2: I want to thank my three oldest children because they helped us to cut with what's going on. And then there's a young lad called Daniel Stevenson who tried to get in the house, the same as myself, um, Joe across the road, and the Butler brothers. And then of course there's the poor firemen, the police, the ambulances, the doctors, the nurses, literally everybody who's, who tried try to help save our children and they couldn't. <laughs> Excuse me a minute. We've decided that through our son, Dwayne, and unfortunately the last one's passed away, that we're gonna donate his, his organs to save another child, which is what we want, because if you can save another child, that's, that makes us happy. It takes a bit of the pain away. And we can't express our gratitude to everybody. That's been concerned with the case, with what's been going on. Um, I've actually been down to my our our home, and what we saw, we just we just cannot believe it.
3: Wow, the, yeah,
2: it's yeah, really infamous.
3: The journalists within the interview room are baffled by the behaviour of Mick and Mairead Philpott. I don't think so much Mairead, but certainly Mick. Moments before the turning on of the cameras, Mick and Maraid are laughing with reporters and seem in good spirits. During the interview, Mick contradicts himself. Not only does he ask for members of the public to come forward with information surrounding the case, but he then tells them to leave him and his wife to grieve in peace. There's a very, very infamous photo actually from from this because obviously the police were kind of had them in mind as suspects anyway yeah there's a very famous photo where uh, you basically see philpot kind of holding the tissue up to his face and you've got pc steve cotterall who's one of the uh, the leads on this case this pc steve cotterall is literally kind of glaring side eye yeah, at, at a yeah it's a very famous photo very famous yeah big big case big big case he tells the public please leave my family alone if you've got any questions or anything at all, please don't come through me and my family. Please go to the police. You're disrupting what these officers are trying to do. So please, I beg you, leave us alone and let us try and grieve in peace and quiet. Which is such a different what? message to usually if you have parents of missing children mm-hmm. or, or, or murdered children. It's please tell us anything you have. Yeah. Come to me. Come to me. We need to find out. True, fat, oh, baby. <laughs> I couldn't get the word right? Come to me. Come to me. <laughs> come, come. Come, come, my oh, baby. You're my sugar fat. Butterfly! Baby. The public has heard stories of Mick and Maraid acting out of line, and a public spree of hate is spread. Thanks, at man. the same time, Kim Hall, Mick's first fiancée, is sat at home watching this with her mother, both of whom were stabbed by Philpot. adamant that Mick is to blame, and I'm sure a lot of his previous relationships were, as soon as they see him do a mm-hmm. press conference like this, must immediately have had a high level of suspicion.
5: May 29th 2012, Mick and Maraida are arrested after police gather all the evidence confirming their suspicions. On the 30th of May 2012, the couple is charged with six counts of murder. On the 20th of June 2012, Paul Mosley, aged 45 at the time, is arrested for his involvement in the arson attack. He is later released on bail. On the 22nd of June 2012, Duane, Jade, John, Jack, Jesse and Jaden are all laid to rest in the joint funeral on the 22nd of June 2012 at St. Mary's Catholic Church. They all had matching white coffins, the boys had blue flowers whilst Jade was buried with pink ones. All the coffins had the child's photographs placed upon them, as well as the photographs the children were buried with toys or something memorable to them. Guests wore bright colours to try and bring some hope to such a bleak day, more than 400 were present at the funeral. These deaths shook the country to the core and people felt they needed to pay their respects to the children who lost their lives and were taken too soon. Mick and Maraid were not allowed to attend the children's funerals and the money they had not spent on themselves were used to pave the headstones for the children. Jade Philpott was 10 at the time of her death, her brother John was 9, Jack was 8, Jessie was 6, Jaden was 5, Duane was 13.
3: So yeah, so that was the timeline for the Mick Philpott case. We're now going to go on to a little bit of aftermath. So although this was originally a murder case, in December 2012, the charge was dropped to manslaughter. The deliberate attempt to place a ladder outside the window suggested that the intention was never to kill the children. Therefore, it was a manslaughter charge rather than murder. Although many online have argued that this was a charge not harsh enough. On the 5th of November 2012, Paul Molesley is arrested for his role in starting the fire. Forensic tests are conducted on Mick's, Maraid's and the children's clothing. All of the children were found to be in daytime clothing, not pyjamas as we would expect sleeping children to be in. Forensic tests reveal that Mick and Maraid had petrol splashes on their clothing. And and so did uh, Paul.
5: On the 17th of December, all three pleaded not guilty, meaning the trial would have to take place. On the 12th of February, 2013, the trial commences. During the trial, Mick takes the stand, whilst under oath, Mick makes outlandish remarks, such as the participation in dogging and his sexual fantasies. As many have remarked, this was just another performance for Mick Philpott. As Geoffrey Wanser commented, he may have convinced himself, but he didn't fool everyone else. On the 2nd of April, 2013, Mick, Maraid and Paul were all found guilty of manslaughter at Nottingham Crown Court. Two days later, on the 4th of April, 2013, the individuals were sentenced. Mairead and Paul each received 17 years, and Mick was given a life sentence with a minimum of 15 years to be served. He's currently residing at Wakefield Prison.
3: I just cannot see any chance that he's released.
5: Oh, I mean, he's... The first stabbing, 27 stabbing. I, I I don't understand how... That, he did three years. Yeah. They got 17 years each, and he got 15 years. Yeah. <laughs> Which
3: is... Yeah.
5: yeah. We, I mean, we did we did a... Instagram post of him in Wakefield Prison we p- did. playing ping pong with Ian Watkins it's a
3: very bizarre friendship apparently
5: Ian Watkins who we previously covered the ex Lost Prophet singer yeah we, he apparently plays ping pong with Phil
3: Pott in Prison yeah a bizarre a bizarre one I actually have a friend that has recently taken on a new role at Wakefield Prison as a teacher in the woman's wing so I'm going to try and get some gossip big prison hmm try and get some gossip see if I can find out who's winning the ping pong please do Yeah, I reckon Philpott, quite an aggressive ping-pong player. In September 2013, 18 Victory Road was demolished. Maraid controversially was released in 2020 on licence. Paul was also released. It is thought that once she was released, she was placed into a hostel and placed under strict supervision. At her sentencing back in 2013, Maraid was told by the judge, these were your children, your first responsibility... Surely was to them. Instead, you joined in with his plan. Maraid had previously attempted to appeal her sentencing, however she was denied as she had not served half her sentence, as the judge had ordered. And it was agreed that her sentencing reflected her callous actions. Those who live within the Derby area have been reassured that she will not be returning back to the area at any point. As MP Pauline Latham commented, Eight and a half years in jail amounts to her serving less than 18 months for each of those poor children. How can that possibly be right? Those in charge of making these decisions need to think longer and harder about the victims and the value of their lives.
5: Her release has clearly caused some upset not within the local community, but furthermore within the centre of crime prevention. Moray's early release has left people questioning whether justice can be served if a criminal does not serve their full sentence. As David Spencer, the research director for the Centre of Crime Prevention, said, The system of automatically releasing criminals like her halfway through their sentence means that in cases like this, justice is not being done. This needs to change. For crimes like this, those convicted need to serve their full sentence. It is thought that the Marade has been receiving counselling and coaching since her release. She is also now living under the protection of a new identity. She's living in a charade. And that is the horrible case of Mick Philpott, the Nightmare of Victory Road.
3: Yeah, there's a lot more to that case than... I was it's initially you know. aware of yeah mm. yeah but a very bleak one a very dark one and um, hopefully he never ever ever gets out I don't think he will I don't think he will either I don't see even with new identity he's very recognisable mm, well, he would need some serious <laughs> Ben
5: talking about his looks well, we seemed seamlessly go to a look a He's. <laughs> what does it look like that looks
3: a bit like that okay, it looks <laughs> a bit like
5: this do you want me to start, Ben? Because mine aren't overly good. <laughs> surprise, people. Yeah. Can i going to start with one that... It's the eyes, I think. Yeah. It's the eyes. Um, okay. I'm going with, famously from the comedy duo, Cannon and Ball. Oh, uh, my God. Bobby Ball.
3: That's who my dad said. Oh. Yeah. Well, there you go, Kev. That was yeah. for you. Oh, I'm happy with this one. I think that Mick Philpott would be the third funk brother oh, um, okay. as part of wrestlers Terry Funk and Dory Funk. You wouldn't know. I've just put the three of them there, look. In a way, yeah. Thank you, yeah.
5: I'd just probably say it looks a bit like Terry
3: Funk. Terry Funk, yeah, yeah.
5: Thank you. A bit. This one I think is probably less good. I mean, my first one wasn't particularly good. Tim Healy from and Pet or Benidorm.
3: Oh, okay, yeah.
5: Also, the, ni- the lead singer of 1975's Dad. Yeah, he is. I think he could play in. Yes, but uh, maybe no. he doesn't doesn't look too much like him. It's just mainly a bald yeah. head with yeah. a bit of a beard.
3: Well, on bald head and bit of a beard. I've gone for from the side, old Eric Cantona. I mean, if you're going
5: to have to say it from
3: the side, it's going to ruin it. But go on. Well, from the side, old from the side from far away (laughs) in in natural light, (laughs) old Eric Cantona. Although when I did that straight away, looking at that Pot, I thought Wayne Rooney. (laughs) That's better. Yeah, so I've got just a Man United legend. Yeah, up front we've gone for Pot, Cantona, and Rooney. I was like, that's an attack.
5: Oh. Impressive. I thought you thought it off the top of your head then. That make it less impressive. And also there's older ones of Rooney right. with, with grey hair. In the
3: advert, yeah. All right. Not from the side though. I
5: thought you thought it off I the... did think yeah. of it off the
3: top of my head. No, you didn't, because you already had Well i put that together and then off the top of my head I was like, Oh, oh well, that looks like Rooney. No pre plan. No. And now it's time, ladies and gentlemen, for The Cult of IMACP. <laughs> okay. It's got the cackle in it. Yeah, I know, I was gonna throw to him. I just did.
2: So rude. of ICMAP
5: so yes Dan what do you have lined up for us this week with the application to the cult of IGMA
0: okay application number one I'm going to play it through Uh, I believe this is from Honey that's the person who runs the Reddit
3: oh nice
1: hello Tom Ben and Dan this is my application to join your cult. As you may or may not know, I run your subreddit. Therefore, I already have experience with running a cult. Maybe I should be applying for the role of cult leader. If one of you
3: gets brutally killed, Honey. I can step in. Honey. You also have to have me in the cult because I have autism. If you don't have enough diversity in your cult, people may kick off. That's smart. And you don't yeah. want that. She's yeah. got her head like me. I'm also part Italian and can make the most incredible Whoa. pizzas. Free wow. pizza for eternity in the cult. Oh
0: You're in. I hope You're you accept
3: in. my application. And if you don't, there will be war as I will
1: start a rival cult and turn Reddit against you. Oh, wow. wow. Honey. Let me in.
0: You're
5: in. Honey, <laughs> you were already in before the threats, honey. Let me in. <laughs> i got pizza. <laughs> Come yeah, in. yeah, that's, I mean, Quite she had us because we had to you know, be inclusive. Yeah. And then the pizza and then the threats. So, uh yes honey what you're already combat. in i mean you're already in for, for just running the subreddit which everyone should check out by the way the yeah. subreddit icmap i'm now a mod <laughs> oh congratulations <laughs> I, thought, I thought i was a rocker but it turns out i'm a mod <laughs> that is good. um but no uh, yeah yeah it's lovely over there why don't I go check it out there's a lot of interesting conversations over there as Definitely. well so
0: well, honey,
3: check. welcome
0: welcome honey let's go to the next one shall we this looks like it's from reagan here we go Ooh, great name. Top name good weapon Hello lovelies. How are you all doing today? Hello. I'm Regan. I'm a Regan. bartender, Regan, sorry. slash mixologist Ooh, from uh,
2: nice.
0: Watford, beautiful what little space. And uh, my skills, I think you know, introduction. I can make you all lovely little cocktails. Starting like areas, my favourite. Uh Espresso Martini. Oh. If you know you don't want to go swing away, nice sex on the beach for all of us lovely little lovers. Ooh. Um <laughs> you know, also, you know, Regan. if you want to put a little extra little extra something spicy in the cocktails and a little bit of arsenic any kind of poison <laughs> I'm your guy two on the slide you get rid of all of them It's <laughs> me all of them Sam, um, and the other one. oh. easy easy help I make small cocktails oh, have a good that. time right, I'll see you guys later listen to you guys later it's
5: alright <laughs> suddenly got to say no there alright well, I, like I like it, it. I he's like, got I character like I don't know he says he's going to kill people right? So yeah.
0: <laughs> don't know oh. come on in come yeah, on yeah
3: Regan was I was I was enjoying it. <laughs> You're the least forgettable one out of the three of us, I would no. say. Uh, I'm not according to Regan, but no. according a Regan. Yeah. No, I like it. Yeah. Love that, sex on the beach. Chance if I think.
5: Um I like the uh espresso. Martini. Yeah. It's good. Yeah.
3: No, I like him a lot. So there's, there's there's if you guys want him in, yeah, in. Yeah. I don't want him to have, you know, it's Tom. His name's Tom. <laughs> But, uh, yeah. I mean, it's obviously, he did obviously didn't mean to forget. Yeah. He meant well. By the way, I think he's doing it because he was like,
5: Tom <laughs> Yeah. So I think. OK. Should g-
0: we do one
3: more? Yeah, one more. Regan and Honey, get to know each other. You're both in.
0: Congratulations. Uh, this one is from Phoebe.
3: Hello, hello, hello. Uh, this is Phoebe from Devon. Um Hi Phoebe from I Phoebe I love the show guys. It's great. Okay. Um this is my application to the cult. I you know, I've I've had many jobs but um my one of my favourite
0: jobs I've had is um i worked in a, a craft beer shop I pride myself on my knowledge of beers, yep. and I think I could certainly supply the cult nice. with the best, most top-notch
2: craft beer just um, ever. We've got beer, um, cocktails, and pizza. yeah, and we could enjoy some real proper beer. Mm. I also work in an aquarium.
5: That's, oh, so that's got a lot cool. Of knowledge and fish. Yeah.
2: So there's that. It used
5: to be pesky. <laughs> that's good. Um, Yes. Yeah, I think I'd be a
3: great addition right. to the
5: cult. Yeah. let me know. Great. I mean, Ben, you wanted to do your James Bond fish tanks, didn't you?
3: Yeah, yeah. I've got the tank. I just, I've backed out of the idea. But yeah, that's mm. great. Well, we can give her the tank.
5: Yeah, the, the aquarium's more interesting than the craft beer to yeah. me. I have a craft beer while looking at fish, the fish looking at like lovely fish yeah i mean yeah
3: well,
5: so that's phoebe and uh honey in the in, in the colt
3: phoebe <laughs> honey
5: and regan oh
3: regan you're in sorry, mate.
5: And the other one sorry
3: <laughs> <laughs> oh there it is Oosh!
5: Oosh! um to, for people all the distance i was doing the header uh, heading the ball the, into the back of the net so guys we we i mean after those down I think what we're going to do is, if you don't, maybe you don't feel comfortable applying to it. You don't know how to list. It's just your skills. We're thinking this could also be a bit of a kind of spooky story, yeah. or a bit of a if you've got some links to a crime or anything like that. Like any kind of interest in true crimey aspects to, to your life, or, or even funny stories. We we want to we basically want to learn more about our audience as well. And even if you have a question that you're dying to ask, even that would be fine
3: yeah yeah um probably if if you can keep them between sort of one and two minutes long that's that's the golden spot it's a yeah, hot spot that's is true yeah um but another way if you, if you want to get like the fast track into the cult then why not head over to icmap.co.uk is the brand new home of i Can murder a podcast it sure is ben over there you can get uh your hands on exclusive merchandise that will not be available anywhere else uh, tom's repping the hat right now
0: i'm repping the mug as well
3: dan's repping the mug we well, you can get exclusive cult merchandise. It's all black, which is a great vibe, isn't it? Yeah, black, it's black like black New Zealand. Retang. As well as that, you also unlock almost 100 exclusive episodes, completely ad-free. Yes, indeed. And uh, and also, we have two tiers over there. If you join
5: the prestige tier, which we've had a lot of people join, which is great. Bloody lovely. You can join our Discord, Ben, which yep. would mean we struggled with Reddit. Yeah. Discord, we've started to find our way, and it's really I've
3: nice, isn't it? taken like a duck to water in... Have uh, you in 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 Discord? yeah, I've there been you know. I've been waving to people. I've been uploading photos. Have I've you? Yeah, I've done a couple of photos. Yeah, nice. Just welcoming people. You know.
0: Yeah, and someone yeah, look, the- look how busy our Discord is. It's it's crazy busy. It's, it's
5: cracking on. And also, we're going to be doing a. We'll be. Di- <laughs> oh,
3: there's me.
5: And we'll also be doing a monthly live stream over there on there as well. Yes. So and I don't know money is tight for some people so the monthly subscription might not be for you right now but there is merch on the store as well. But also that website is just where we house our merch now. So if you want to check out the new merch then
3: why not go over there. Yeah and any support is greatly appreciated. It goes straight back into the channel. The other really amazing thing you could do is just tell your friends about us or give us a like if you're an audio listener. Subscribe if you're a YouTube viewer um, and just tell bloody everyone about us because we, we would appreciate that loads.
5: Yeah we're trying to get what well, I'd like to be Hit 40,000 by the end of this series. That would be lovely. We're not too far off it. We've been edging closer and closer to that number. It'd be Ooh. great to hit that number.
3: We thought we were shadow banned for ages, didn't we? We the did. Word
5: murder. We did think we were shadow banned, but apparently we weren't. were we are not. But yeah, it'd be great to see those numbers on on the <laughs> rise. <right. just> <laughs> we're, just, we're just not growing. <laughs> um but yes, yeah, we're we're trying to grow that obviously grow our YouTube page as much as possible, and yeah, the listen numbers are great. So thank you so much for all the support
3: and sharing and spreading the word. Yeah. To stay in the loop of all things uh, that are going on in our world, why not follow us on our socials? Which is at Could Murder a Pod. We've got Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. TikTok, uh, we're bloody everywhere, mm-hmm. and also mm-hmm. if you follow us on any of those uh, those platforms, you will be well and truly in the loop in terms of the audience vote, which is not too far away. It really isn't. Please vote for the Costa Concordia. Or well, Ted Bundy.
5: If you want to Ted Bundy, why not Ted Bundy? I'm just saying Ted Bundy because Ben really doesn't want it, and a lot of people vote for it usually. <laughs> so do, do what do what you want, guys. I really yeah. don't
3: care. You pick the case, we do it. Yeah, I'm a bit more preferential on Costa Concordia, but. I got the jumper and I mean, so
5: anyway, guys, thank you so much for your support. And we'll be back again next week with a fresh new case. But, like we always say, we say this all the time keep doing what you're doing. Well, well, unless you're applying for the colour, I'm not remembering all our names.
3: Yeah, well, you still got in. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, let go with Don't uh, put a caravan by the side of your house. And if you're, you're gonna be doing stuff like that, I mean, you can, but um, you can fucking okay remember, just Yeah, but come on. The fire
5: was about a bad bit. The fire,
3: fire, yeah, then do the rest of it. Paul Q. Oh, he's bad fucker and a bad guy. Mm. Really bad man. Yeah.
5: Anyway, guys. Boop it.
0: Bless you. Bless you!
5: <laughs> scale it back in. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.
0: I Could Murder a Podcast is proudly part of the ACAST Creator Network. For hundreds of extra minisodes and other content, along with our private Discord server and live Q&As, exclusive merch and much more, consider subscribing to icmap.co.uk.